Welcome to Nest Church, and thanks for listening to our podcast. We hope this word blesses you today. For more information, visit nestchurch.com. We hope to see you soon. And remember, you are loved. God has been speaking to me a particular way, a certain way. I didn't know that it was anything to do with gripped. Um, I, it was, to me, it was something just that didn't really relate. But um, as I was talking to him, I realized that actually there is a lot in common here with what God has been speaking to me about and, and this whole message of gripped. And today we're going to, uh, I, I believe we're going to be touching up on gripped. Thank you. Thank you, Yadi. Um, what I guess we titled uh, gripped in reality. And to me, it's more like a dimensional shift, and that's what God has been speaking into my, in my mind and my spirit. Um, but first, you know, something that happened during worship that Betsy shared that I actually was so in line with what's going on and this message um, that I needed to kind of expand, expound on, talk a little bit about, just, just, just begin with. It was very appropriate, and it's in Philippians 4. It's not even, I didn't even give it to Angel, Sorry. Uh, it's Philippians 4, verse 8, uh, and she said this up here, and I was blown away by it, and it says, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Oh, my gosh, um, and that's pretty much where this message is going. Um, it says, whatever is pure, whatever is good. And the, the thing that God has been speaking to me about for a while now is looking at a child or looking at the child in all of us. Um, it's, it's because in a child, I don't think anybody can disagree with this statement that there's something particularly beautiful and pure about a child. Amen? There's something that is different, something that is, is so different. And I, I don't know if it's just that a child is innocent. You know, maybe some people can say, oh, they just don't know. But I think it's something else. And I think that has to do with this, this verse right here. Um, and, it's, and it's that a child can believe all things. And, and not only that, but I think when we're children, in every one of us, there was a moment in our childhood when we were babies, when we were infants, when we were toddlers, that we heard something. We, there was voices that we heard that nobody else heard. There was things that we saw that nobody else can see. And it is when you're a child, it is that, that innocence, that purity that you have, that you are able to see these things. It's like your mind is open to another world, another dimension. And we kind of tend to lose that as we grow up, right, as we mature. And I think it's because the way we we think of maturity kind of takes us out of that wonder that we had when we were a baby, when we were a child. And I can guarantee you, I mean, maybe you don't remember, but there was probably things that you heard, even God tell you, that maybe you forgot. But I, I see it in my daughter all the time. My daughter tells me that God speaks to her. And I don't deny this. I, I truly believe that God is actually speaking to her. I do, I do believe when she says she sees God, I believe that she's seeing him. She, she tells me all the time, God, every day, she's like, oh, God, talk to me today. 
And I always ask, well, what did he tell you? And, he, and she says, he told me I'm beautiful. And, 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 and she says, God, God speak to me today. And I said, what did he say? And he says, he loves me. And, and that kind of started opening me up to what God was speaking to me. He was telling me, you know, if we can just look into this world and see the child that, ha- that, that is in every person, we're going to see through the eyes, through the lens of Jesus, through the lens of God. Because when, when God wor- walked in this, in this life, when he was alive here in this world, I do believe that he was looking from another dimension. I do believe he was looking from another lens. And I think the lens he was, and the, what he was seeing in each person was a, something beautiful because it's his child. And you see it, you see it in the way he addressed even sinners, anybody. You see it. Sometimes he was aggressive, but aren't we aggressive towards our children sometimes? Don't we have to get a point across to him a certain way, right? So we use tough love. We use, diff- we use different ways of addressing our children. And guess this, this is something else. As our children mature, we also speak to them differently. So, so it's in the same way with us. I think maybe in our lives we lose that wonder. And I think God is calling us back to a place where we can actually live in another dimension, in another, uh, through another lens where we can actually see through the eyes of God what he's seeing in others around us. Amen? So that being said, um, I want to take you guys to Acts 2. Let's all turn to Acts chapter 2. And uh, verse 44. It's the day of Pentecost, okay? The day that the, that the uh, Spirit of God that he said were, that the, the believers, the apostles and the disciples that were there were actually going to be baptized in the spirit, okay? And I, I was reading this and I was understanding that in the verse before that, in chapter one, it actually says that they would be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And sometimes I think about baptizing the Holy Spirit they, and I start thinking like they received the Holy Spirit. But what I understood was they weren't, it wasn't so much that they had received the Spirit of God because the, the, the apostles before that actually received the Spirit of God when God breathed on them. But in this, in this moment, there was an actual immersion of the Spirit of God. There was a revelation of the Spirit of God in the, in the, um, in the assembly. Okay? So... Really, when we look at what it's talking to, but it's, it's saying that these people were baptized in that moment. They were immersed, because that's what baptism means, that you are immersed in something. That's why here we believe in water baptism, right? So we actually dip you in water, because that's what it actually means. And it's very significant. I think it, ha- it holds a lot of power. So in the same way, these people were actually baptized in the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. They were immersed in the Spirit. And when that happened, something shifted in the whole community. Something shifted amongst everybody that was there in that moment. And not only that, but there was like a rumble. There was a change. There was a shaking going on in the community itself. Okay? So when we go to Acts 2, verse 44, I want to read this verse to you. This is where you start seeing a shift in the way people were actually living. Okay? In the community, in in. after that experience of the presence of God and the Holy Spirit. It says this. It says, all the believers were together and had everything in common. Okay, I've read that verse many times and there's so much I can get just from reading these 
these couple verses of how they actually functioned, how the community actually moved now as a result of the Holy Spirit. But there's something that started standing out to me as I was reading and I was studying it. And I was seeing that there was more meaning to these words that were shared here in this, just this one verse. When it was saying that they were together, that's something that was actually, there's, there's much more to that word together than you actually see it. It's not that they were just in one place. But the actual word, grammatically, when you're reading it, it means that these people were superimposed. And so when I say this, I'm going to start, I want you guys to start seeing how God is calling us into another dimension as a a result of us receiving the Spirit of God. Here in this household, we believe that when you come to the Lord, the, the, the Spirit of God lives in you, okay? And then when we get together, this is what happens in this verse. We become superimposed. If you don't, I did not know what that was. I had no idea what superimposition was. And I started reading about it. So when it means, when it says together, it says superimposed. What means is that they were one on top of the other. It was a layer, almost like dimensional. It was 3D. It wasn't just one view. It was multiple views of something. And superimposed, anybody here in photography or in video? Oh, come, there's photographers here for sure. You know in superimposition, I'm guessing. When something is superimposed, it means there's more layers to something. Okay, and what that does is it causes an effect to happen where the image is brought out more. It's amplified. Okay, it's multiplied. And you got to understand that what God was doing from the moment these people received or were baptized in the spirit of God is that he was actually not just calling them to live together, but actually to amplify, to multiply, to glorify, to be an image of Christ that amplifies to the world around them. Amen. So this is what the word together actually mean. It's an effect. And in that same effect, tell me if this is correct, super, super imposition also is able to conceal some things, right? Now, God doesn't try to conceal our sin, and I'm not trying to say that, so don't get me wrong. But he does take your sin and he blots it out. Why? As a result of his righteousness. So if there's any relation to what happens in superimposition in our lives, is that he doesn't conceal it, he completely takes it out. So I want you guys to understand the first thing that happens as a result of us receiving or being baptized in the spirit of God is that all of a sudden we are called to live in a dimensional glory. We're called to live in a oneness, a togetherness that amplifies and glorifies God together. That's an image that we portray. And although we may be weak, it is through that weakness that we're able to glorify God because no longer do we have to be bound by sin. He has taken that from you. Can you glorify God for that? So together we amplify, we multiply the image of Christ simultaneously. He takes uh, our sin away through his righteousness. The other word that really stood out to me in verse 44 is this, when it says, all things, but they were together and had everything in common. Okay. I want to break this down just for a moment to you. We're going to go somewhere with all this. And it has to do with what I opened up with. It has to do with the beauty and purity, okay? But it all begins in how we see differently, okay? There's going to be 
there's going to be a, a dimension, okay, or a, rela- a reality that we're gripped by when we come to the Lord and when we receive the Spirit of God. But first, there is going to be a shift in the way we see. Amen? Okay. Now, the other word that really stood out to me was common. It says that they had everything. Now, in many of your versions, you'll see it says they had everything in common. But you look at the King James Version, and it says that they, had, they were sharing everything common. Okay? They may have had something in common. They believed in God. Okay. That's self-explanatory. No big deal. But they were sharing everything common is a bigger deal. And I'm going to explain to you why. When you look at the way they were living, actually, that word common in itself implies that what they were doing Levitically, under the law, right, the old law of Moses, actually, that was unclean the way they were living. Okay? So, when it says they were living in, they were living and sharing things common, actually, to the Jews, that meant they were living unclean. That wasn't right. But what the problem here is, is that actually, what they were calling common was, there was nothing common about that. There was nothing common about the style, the, the lifestyle that they have, they had begun to function in. And that is true because the Jews around them had a heart. To, there was those Jews that actually came to the Lord as a result of what, of what happened on the day of Pentecost. But then there were others who didn't. And those were the ones that were seeing the old Levitical law and saying, what you guys are doing is completely off, completely wrong. That's not what God is calling us to do. Because we're called to, under Levitical law, the Jews were called to give a sacrifice unblemished unto the Lord. Okay? Something that was separated. Okay? That was without spot or blemish. But when they see everybody sharing everything and nothing necessarily is separated for God, they're saying, where's the sacrifice? Where's the sacrifice that's supposed to be honoring God? And you know what the people were doing? They were saying, we are the sacrifice. The people were saying, we are living sacrificially. You know that because here it says, after it says, that they were giving possessions. They were giving properties. These people had things. They had money. They weren't poor. They weren't being irresponsible. These people weren't living like like a bunch of hippies or beatniks, you know, with a good philosophy of life. That's not what it was. These people were living in sacrifice. They weren't being irresponsible. They actually had a greater revelation of what sacrifice actually is. Amen. So, so I imagine the apostles, right? I imagine what they received as a result of their time with the Lord. They received this greater revelation of what it means to live a life dedicated to the Lord. And these people didn't even, like Regal shared last week, these people didn't even have the the New Testament scripture. They wrote this later. So what does that mean? If they were able to receive this revelation through the spirit of God of what it means to truly live a sacrificial life, and they wrote these letters, these, these books to us, then how much greater revelation should we have about what it means to live a life of sacrifice unto our God? Amen? 
I'll, 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 I'll just put this in there as well. When the Spirit of God moved in the, in the day of Pentecost, um, they received, it says, they were over them hovering tongues of fire and, and, and they were actually speaking in different tongues. And this has been shared before here in this pulpit. And it's not that these people, if that when we get together, that we have to wait for something to happen. When we come here, sometimes we're like, okay, how's God going to move? How's God going to move? We're waiting for something to happen. Is the tongue of fire going to come this time? Because I want to see that. I, I swear, that's how I think. I don't know about you guys, but when I come here, I've, come, I've, I've been guilty of coming here and be like, man, I wonder what's going to I want to see visions. I want to see, I want to see things move. I want, to see, I want us to elevate. I don't know, man. Something crazy. But God is real and he can do all things, right? So when I come in and I'm waiting for that, God smacked me in the face. A couple weeks ago, he's like, bro, what are you doing? You are the tongue of fire. The greater revelation is that it's inside of you and all you got to do is release it. Guys, when you're, when you're, when you're walking on your day-to-day -day life, do you not think that that tongue of fire can actually change the world around you? If we believe that, then there's something's going to happen around us. So now in my job, I, I, maybe people think I'm a little nuts, but I'm trying to see uh, the child in each individual that at one time heard a voice. At one time, they saw something that they don't see anymore. They had a faith and hope that we all have had. And I believe now that we've inherited again. We inherited that voice again. We can stand again and we can have that faith that we had as a child. Okay? But the people out in this world or even people that come here that are looking for something, maybe they're sitting right next to us and they walk in here every weekend saying, man, I wonder if somebody will actually show me something because I hear... Pastor Regal speaking, he has powerful words, but man, what would happen if somebody would actually touch me with something genuine? Oof. So there was, nothing un there was nothing common about the way these people were living. They weren't simply relating to each other. And um, they, didn't, they were living a life of Matthew, I, I don't even know if I gave you this verse, I'm sorry. Matthew 5.17, they weren't living a life that was contrary to, to the law of God. You remember what Jesus said when he was, when he's here, he says, I wasn't here, I'm not here to, to abolish the law, I'm here to fulfill it. When these people chose to live a life where they shared things common and live a life of sacrifice to worship God, because that's what we were talking about here today, that worship is not when you come here to sing. Worship or the sacrifice of praise, that, that, that right there, sacrifice of praise, that's when you're able to give praise to God despite anything that's going on in your life because you're offering a sacrifice to him. Your praise is sacrifice when you can praise God despite anything. Okay, so they were living Matthew 5.17 that says, I'm not here to do away with the law. They, that was the revelation they caught. They said, you know what? I, we know through the Spirit of God, we understand now what a life dedicated to the law, a life of worship is all about. And we choose to this, live this lifestyle. And guess what that does? That brings greater revelation about what God is calling us into. And so now we have that as an example. They did not abolish the law. They weren't living unclean, despite what the scholars may have said. They were living a life of sacrifice towards each other. Okay. So, 
I want to, I wanted you to see that, that dimensional life that they shifted in functioning in. Because as a result of that, something occurred right after. It's the first mention of an act of a miracle that occurred right after that occurred amongst the whole community. After the day of Pentecost, these people shifted in their view. They, fished, they shifted in their vision of reality, and they were walking in another dimension. I, that's what I'm going to tell you right here. I truly believe that, and I truly believe that's what we're going as a body. And so as a result, what happens? We go to chapter 3, Acts 3, and, in, and Acts 3 the, uh, it starts out with a story of Peter and John who were walking towards the temple. And they walk past this gate that they say is called beautiful. And as they walk past the gate, they see something. They see a man. Now, I want to say this. I'm going to make this statement to you guys. Peter and John recognized beauty in the eyes of a child who was just seen as another lame beggar. Why did they see that? I just told you why they said they, they saw that. Because they had an encounter with God that told them that now as a result, you're called to live in another dimension. You're called to be gripped by another reality. And so when they're walking by this man, they notice that there's a gate called beautiful, but the problem is that they're looking at a child who has been passed over and over again that was just another lame beggar to everybody else. But they saw beauty somewhere else other than that gate. I think there was a reason why the gate was called beautiful. And it's not so that people can look at the gate and say how beautiful it is. But because there was a man that was placed next to that gate that had a calling, that had an intention. And the gate was calling people's attention, saying, there's something beautiful here, but it's not me. The man was left at the temple gate in the outer courts. That's where he went. And I'm going to prove to you that there was a reason he was there, that there was an intention behind him staying in the outer courts. And why there? Why did they place him next to that, that gate? Okay, so I'm going to take you to the verse here. Acts 3, and I want to read this verse, verse 4. Actually, let me go, let me go to verse 3. Let's, what the heck, let's go to verse 1. How about that, right? Let's just go to verse 1. Let's read it all. Okay, one day Peter and John were going up to the temple, and at the time of prayer, at 3 in the afternoon, now a man who was lame from birth, I want to say birth again, birth, was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. He, they looked at him. They didn't, when you're looking, when you read into what that is, that verse isn't saying they just noticed him the words actually mean that they fixed their mind on the individual they didn't just go oh man look at that guy wow and notice his his legs 
they actually fixed their mind on something else. Their eyes were positioned on this individual. It stresses that they looked straight at him, not at his infirmity. They didn't look at the problem. They were seeing something else in this individual. It means that they beheld something. The way we may be able to behold the beauty in a child. So they fix their minds on this individual. They see and they notice something different. Why? Because they're functioning under another dimension, under another reality, and they see past his lame feet or his lame legs or what everybody else notices. The word is, means atenizo, complete attention. And then next, what they say is, Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. Okay. Now, this is kind of weird because this is a grown man. And these people were giving to him a directive. They didn't even know the guy. You, you, you imagine some stranger just walking by and you literally shout at him, a man, a grown man, hey, look at me right now. Like, that's crazy. The guy's going to think you're nuts. Who is this guy? Or who knows nowadays what will happen. But you can't speak to a man like he's a child. But that's what they were doing. They're, hey, you, look at me. And I know that it almost seemed like they were speaking to him as a child or as bossing him around. They're telling him, hey, I, intention right here. There's something going on. I need you to look over here. I know that because what happens? Look, look. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. What does a child do? What does a child do when you're calling their attention? My daughter does it all the time. She's waiting to get something. If I call her, oh, chocolate, or whatever, you know. Yo quiero una galleta, papa, whatever. She's always, if you're calling her attention, she wants something from you all the time. And he was like, oh. He, he, he called, they called his attention. He was like, what do you have for me? Can you give me some money? Can you give me? It was almost as if they were looking through the eyes of a child and they were seeing something else. So it's so odd the way they actually spoke to him. But, but what they were seeing and the reason they were calling him out to look at them was not because of who they were. Because I believe Peter and John were actually saying something different. First of all, they noticed something in him. And then they were saying, look at me. But don't just look at this. Look at me. Look into my eyes. Because if you look at this, you'll see somebody that just a couple days ago actually rejected God. Not once, not two times, but three times. So if you want to look at me, yes, guess what? You're going to be a flawed man. You're going to see somebody that actually before was not, did not um, live or act in obedience. But something happened. Look at me. You might see somebody who had perversion. You might see somebody who, who was, was contrary to the word of God. Somebody who actually fought against Christ. You might see a lot of what, you, what doesn't mean anything good. A lot of impurity. You'll see it here. You might see that selfish individual that I was just a couple days ago. You might see that bastard child that didn't have a father before. But look at me and look into my eyes now. Because I promise you now, when you look at me, you're going to see the spitting image of my father. 
So look at me. Because I see beauty inside of you. I know you've been calling out, saying, hey, can somebody give me something? Actually, there was a time I remember when I was a child and, and I heard a voice and it said I was beautiful. It said that I was called for something. I saw it and I heard it. And it's been such a long time that I've actually seen it. But for some reason, I wish I can have somebody else that can come up to me and say, hey, I remember who that voice was. Actually, they speak to me too. Actually, I see that now and I'm seeing through those eyes. And now in you, I'm saying, get up and walk. Because the vision that I have, that's the lens I see through. Your Christ tells you, you have intention. Get up, walk, and walk into your intention. What is it? What was the man's intention? It wasn't that he would sit outside in the outer courts next to a gate that was called beautiful. It was that he would receive the voice that he always heard. The man that actually heard something when he was a child and actually walked past the gate called beautiful into the temple so that the other people that actually were worshiping God can see what true worship actually looks like. The voice that that man heard as a child was the permission that Peter and John had to see through, to call that man into intention. He wanted to walk, he wanted, God wanted him to not stand by the outer gates, but enter into the temple and worship the Lord. And what happens after that? In verse 11, the man, no, forget verse 8 and 9, when all the people saw him walking around and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple. The temple gate called beautiful, and they were filled with wonder. First, the, the first thing that man does is not get up and walk out the gate. That's how I know this man all along was desiring to go to the temple. The man was healed. He didn't have to go inside the temple. But the man was healed and went inside the temple and he started jumping and he started praising and everybody was looking, doing like this. That was the guy that was lame. And he grabs Peter and John. Later in the verses, he grabs Peter and John. He starts jumping with them. He starts, he starts praising the Lord and they think like, wow, this guy's insane. But there's something Obviously, he's standing, he's leaping, but he could have just gone his own way. There was an intention, and it was that he can enter the temple, and he chose that. So now what happens is that in the end of the verse 10, they recognize him as the same man who used to sit begging in the temple, and they were filled with wonder. They were filled with wonder. The same wonder that we have as a child. The same faith and belief that we have when we were young and, and anything is possible. But why, did they, why were they able to, to receive this wonder? Why were they just in awe and, and wonder filled by what was going on? Not just because he was lame, but it was because there was two men that decided that as a result of their experience and their baptism and their immersion into a greater reality, they chose to see as Jesus sees. And through that vision, through that, through that obedience, then all of a sudden, the people around them 
are able to wonder and are able to see who Jesus is and how wonderful he is. Amen? I wanna, I, I'm not going to go any deeper, and I just wanted to share those words to you because um, that's in the gist, just what God put in my heart. It's the beauty of Christ and the beauty that we see when we can look at an individual and see them through the eyes of Christ. It'll change, completely change the way you speak to them. It'll change the way you act with them. And it'll change what you think their intentions are. What God's intention is for them. Amen? Amen. Praise God. Hey. Man, that, that, you know, I want to, can you open up your Bibles real quick to John chapter 9? Just turn there real quick. I want to, I want to read a story to you. I'm just going to read it for the sake of time. Just going to read it to you. And um, the reason why I want to read this story to you is because as me and Tito were speaking this week, and he was sharing with me some things that he just shared right now with you, <clears throat> it brought me to this story that I'm very aware of, and I've been listening to it a lot lately. <clears throat> One of my favorite preachers, his name is Damon Thompson. When a couple of us went to go hear him. He jumped into this story and um, taught it in a way that I've never heard anyone teach it in such a, in such a fashion, in such, in such a manner, that it left me floored um, when I left that service when he preached on John 9, which was the, the blind man. Let me read this so you could see where I'm at. And watch this, watch the relativity here. Because we talked about Peter and John, and let's talk about their leader. Let's talk about Jesus. And, and you tell me as I read this story about Jesus, if it doesn't sound the same as Peter and John, because they were operating under the same authority. They were operating under the same kingdom. They were operating with the same spirit. It's powerful, seriously. Because you look at stories like Peter and John, you're like, man, that looks a lot like Jesus. And we say, it was Peter and John, it was Jesus. It was Peter and John, it was Jesus. Not for once can you read that story about Peter and John and not say it was not Jesus. Nothing about that story is about Peter and John, but it's about Peter and John and it's about Jesus. I know that stuff gets very confusing, but Jesus was all over that thing. Watch this story and watch how it sounds and it looks exactly like Peter and John. And the only way I could describe that is because Jesus was with Peter and John, just like Peter and John was with Jesus in John 9. Peter and John were with Jesus now. Jesus was with Peter and John in the one that he read. <laughs> As Jesus was walking along, he saw a man who had been blind from birth. Rabbi, his disciples asked him, why was this man born blind? Was it because of his own sins or his parents' sins? It was not because of his sins or his parents' sins, Jesus answered. This happened so that the power of God could be seen in him. We must quickly carry out the task assigned to us by the one who sent us. The night is coming and then no one can work. But while I am here in the world, I am the light of the world. Come on, let me ask you a question. Has the night come yet? If you don't have the revelation, you say, yes, the night has come already because Jesus sits at the right hand of the Father. But you are so wrong and you're absent of the revelation that the light is still here because we are still what? Jesus is still on earth. Why? He lives in us. Peter and John were still operating like Jesus, though Jesus was already sitting on the throne next to the Father. The light was still operating while, while the light was still sitting on the throne with his Father because the light now shone in them, lived in them, and they were operating in such light. It was a different dimension. It was a different world. What I told David while Tito was preaching, I says, what makes someone go up to someone 
and say silver and gold I do not have but in the name of Jesus stand up and walk man what makes you tell someone that come on all of us let's jump to our car right now we'll take a field trip and I'll walk you through some neighborhoods and I want to see if you have it inside of you to look at someone and say silver and gold I do not have but in the name of Jesus stand up and walk what makes someone say such a thing Let me go back to this. Verse 6, then he spits on the ground, makes mud from the saliva. He spreads the mud over the blind man's eyes. And he tells them, go wash yourself in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. So the man went and washed. And, when he, and he came back seeing. It says, his neighbors and others who knew him as a blind beggar asked each other, is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Just like the man was in the temple, was this not the man that was sitting by the gate beautiful and begging? Some said he was, some others said, no, he looks just like him, it's a lookalike. But the beggar kept saying, yes, I am the same one. And they asked, who healed you? Everyone say, who healed me? What happened? And he told them, the man they caught Jesus made mud and spread it over my eyes. And he told me to go to the pool of Siloam and wash yourself. So I went and I washed and now I can see. Where is he now? They asked. I don't know, he replied. Then they took the man who had been blind to the Pharisees because it was on the Sabbath that Jesus had made the mud and healed him. He wasn't operating and he wasn't necessarily abolishing the law, but he was fulfilling the law. And he says, on the Sabbath, because, because I am this day. So I don't have to be, oh, I don't have to follow this day. I am operating in this day and I'll operate on this day on a Sabbath just like I'll operate on the Sabbath on a Monday. I will operate in Sabbath law on a Tuesday afternoon if you mess with me. Because I'm the Sabbath. I'm the, I'm the Sabbath. And he goes on, he says this. The Pharisees asked the man all about it and he told them, he put the mud over my eyes and when I washed I could see. And the Pharisees said, this man, Jesus, is not from God. He's working on the Sabbath. <laughs> Hallelujah. Others said, but how can an ordinary sinner do such miraculous signs? And there was a deep division of opinion among them. And the Pharisees again questioned the man, again, who had been blind and demanded, what's your opinion about this man who healed you? And the man says, I think he must be a prophet. And the Jewish leaders refused to believe the man still. Had he been blind and could not see, so they called his parents and surely they won't lie to us. And they asked, is this your son? Was he born blind? If so, how can he see? And his parents replied, we know this is our son and we know that he was born blind, but we do not know how he can see and we do not know who healed him. Ask him, he's old enough to speak for himself. And his parents said this because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders who had announced that anyone saying Jesus was the Messiah would be expelled from the synagogue. And that's why they said he's old enough, ask him. So the second time they called him in again, this man that was blind and told him, this man, notice now how the vocabulary changed, this man that was blind, he's no longer the blind man. And they said this to him, God should get the glory for this because we know this man, Jesus, is a sinner. He said, I don't know whether he's a sinner, the man replied, but I know this. I was blind and now I can see. But what did he do, they asked. How did he, do, how did he heal you? And then look what he says in verse 27. Look. Man, I almost feel like he didn't just say, look. 
I almost feel like he talked to them. These were religious leaders. These were people of high authority. These were people that you didn't speak down to. But I believe that right here, some indignation grew up inside of this man that was just gripped by Jesus. And right there, something changed in his vocabulary. And he started to look at these people from a lower level. And he got elevated for a moment. And he said, look at me. Just like that, just like the story, look at me now. Enough with the questions. Look at me. I got some things to tell you. Look in my eyes. You might just see Jesus now. Since you don't know who he is, since you can't recognize him, since you can't testify of him, look at me. You have a problem and you can't realize it. So look at me. This is so good. And he says this. I told you once. Didn't you listen? Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? My man. My man was about to become an evangelist instantly. I don't know how to do it, but say this prayer after me. We'll, we'll, we'll throw you into a discipleship class or something like that. Look at me. Do you want to accept him? And they cursed him and they said, you're his disciples. But we're the disciples of Moses. We know God spoke to Moses, but we don't even know where this man comes from. He's the one that Moses and Abraham saw and marveled. Why, that's very strange, the man said. He healed my eyes, and yet you don't know where he comes from. We know that God listens to sinners, but he's ready to hear those who worship him and do his will. Ever since the world began, no one has been able to open the eyes of someone born blind. But, but if this man were not from God, he couldn't have done that. You were born a total sinner, they answered. Are you trying to teach us? And they threw him out of the synagogue, and that's okay. You know why that's okay? Because when Jesus, verse 35, heard about what had happened, because news travels quickly, even in this area, not just in Hialeah Gardens. <laughs> he found the man and he said, do you believe in the son of man? And the man said, who is he, sir? Because I definitely want to believe. And he says, you've seen him. And Jesus said, I am he who is speaking to you. And he said instantly, he went from sir to yes, Lord, I believe. <laughs> yes, Lord. Sign me up. I'm in. Yes, Lord. I believe. And not only, yes, Lord, I believe, but I'm going to give you my sacrifice and my offering right now. And he begins to worship him. And Jesus tells him, I entered this world to render judgment, to give sight to the blind and show to those who think they're, that they see that they're actually the blind. And some of the Pharisees who were there standing looked at him and said, are you saying that we're blind? And he says, if you were blind, you wouldn't be guilty. But Jesus says, but you remain guilty because you, because you claim you can see. And in reality, you can't see me. I want to share some things that I wrote down last night. And it goes somewhat in relation with what our brother shared. Jesus is known. He's popular. He was obvious. He was, his population, popularity obviously spread during this time, especially here in this area in John 9, which is Jerusalem. And this is a beautiful thing because he sees this man and most likely this man is brought to him. Most likely this man already knew that Jesus was in Jerusalem walking towards his town. And many people were brought to Jesus who were sick or were demonized. And most likely this man was brought to Jesus. And I want you to recognize something. I want you to say shame. His shame defines him. His shame defines him. 
I want you to understand something today. I don't know, we might do an altar call because this is what I want to do. Ready? I want you to look at stuff from a different perspective, from a different dimension, from a different world. And I don't want you to be defined from a place of shame. This man's shame defined him. The disciples, what was their first thought? Oh, wow. If, think about this. If we knew this story already back then, if we could do like a back to the future thing and we could live this, we'd be like, oh, dope. The blind man. Watch Jesus heal this guy. But that wasn't their first thought. Their first thought was, why is this man blind? Is he a sinner? Shame. It must be because he stinks. It must be because he's a sinner. If it's not him, it's his parents. They're sinners. And he's defined. He's defined in shame. And that was their first thought. Constantly, he's, he's definitely, he's certainly he's done something wrong. If he didn't, his parents did it. Because we believe in generational curses here. From generation to generation. We believe in the Old Testament, the disciples would say. So definitely one of his parents. But Jesus' reply may be unheard of up until this day. And of heard of definitely to the disciples. When they asked the question, who sinned, this man or his parents? Jesus, I could almost see it. He smirks with his eyes. He, glow, he smirks with his mouth. He glows in his eyes. And he said something beautiful. This happened so that the power of God could be seen in him. No one sinned. That's not why. It's at the power of God. That someone's shame could be for the sole purpose that the power of God would be seen in that. And many of you say, well, that's not fair. If I read this passage like this, why is that fair that a man should be brought to such shame so that the power of God can be brought forth? Because maybe you've never encountered the power of God in the middle of your shame. Because if you did, you would say this shame was so worth it because of the encounters of the power of God I am going through while holding on to this shame. I'm telling you. But what we do is we bask and we bury ourselves and we say, well, God's not fair and God is mean. And God doesn't understand. Oh, Jesus does things because he was 100% God and 100% human. But what you don't understand is that maybe your shame was not necessarily because of sin that was brought to the world from the Garden of Eden or necessarily from your parents or your parents' sin or from your own very own sin. But maybe it's for the sole purpose that if you just get the right mindset, if you just enter into the right dimension, if you start operating in the proper kingdom, you might recognize that the shame that you hold on to is actually for a greater glory and it's to lift up none other than the name of Jesus Christ our Lord bring the shame if it brings his glory it's an operating from a different dimension it's an operating from a different glory. You have shame. You need to cleanse yourself in the temple and sprinkle water and offer up a sacrifice. But Jesus steps in. <laughs> spits on the floor. Makes some mud and pops it in the man's eye and says, go wash yourself in the pool. He washes himself, gets up and he says, I can see Tell me where the sacrifice was. Tell me where the washing of the water in the temple was. It wasn't there because the one who carries the shame of this world stood before him and spits to identify with his shame, to take his shame, to now re-identify him as someone different. Two different worlds. This one's not about sin. This one's about the power of God to be manifested. Could it be that the shame of our reality, of our dimension, 
be for the purpose of a whole other reality or a whole other purpose. What's that? That his power would be seen not just on, not just on earth, but in heaven. Maybe it's man's great shame in which we hold on to that, that when he begins to operate and work in us, that shame we hold begins to demonstrate the power of God in us. That the, this is important. This is my message right here. That the marvel, that the marvel will be less about us and more about who is it that healed you. What's the marvel of that story? Has anyone caught it? No one gave the man a hug because he could see. Everyone was questioning who gripped you, who touched you, who healed you. You know what I would have done? I would have been like, dog, take off your glasses. <laughs> he could really see. He's not messing. I'm, I'm joking around with him and he's counting the numbers. But not, but not them. They're not even embracing that the man I man is seen. They're, they're attacking who did it. And may the marvel of our lives not be about us. That we were blind and now we see. That we were lame and now we walk. That we were lost and now we found. But may the marvel be who is the one that did it. Oh, man. You have time? Look at me. You got time? Look at me. You got time? Look at me. These legs walk now. This soul screams now. These eyes tear now. Because the one who has healed me. Look at me. That the marvel will be less about us. So Jesus spits, and I'm going to quickly say this, and we're done. Damon Thompson, I can't steal his message because it rocked my life, and I've never looked at the story ever again. He teaches, on, he teaches on the mud, and he says, this man this man was a blind man from birth, meaning that ever since he, all he knew was um, outcast. All he knew was he was despised. All he knew that was he was looked down upon. Does everyone understand that? So this man was very uh, aware with walking down the street with someone. And, and, and again, this message rocked my life. And other people, as they were walking, they would recognize because according to the law, that man is unclean. So what they would do to this unclean man was maybe walk away from him. And as he would walk by, spit by him. Because it was their custom to spit onto that which was unclean. And this man who could not see, who was taken by the hand, or who learned the path already of his neighborhood, every time he would hear, it was another reminder that someone else was despising him. It was a reminder that someone else was pointing at his shame. It was a reminder that someone else was telling him, you're not wanted here. It was a reminder that someone else tells him, you're disgusting. It was a reminder that someone else was saying, why do you walk down the same streets I walk? You should be outcasted from the city walls. And every time they spit near him when he walked around or while he stood there, he recognized that the sound of spit was a reminder of the shame he carried from the day that he was born. Does everyone get that? And then comes Jesus. You too, you too are going to spit where I'm walking. When you're supposed to be Jesus of Nazareth, the Messiah, the one who comes to healeth me. And yet you come to where I'm at. And the first thing that I hear from you, not even, hey man, how are you feeling today? Or, or how about, I heard what you did with the man from the pool of Bethesda. You actually asked him, do you want to be made well? At least you gave him a, 
a reason to answer. But me, you don't even have the audacity to ask me if I want to be made well. You don't even have the audacity to take me by the hand. And you walk by me and the first thing I hear from your mouth is, is spit before me you do and what Jesus was doing was something beautiful he grabs the mud and he puts it in his eye and what Jesus was doing was he says I do that because that's the thing that defines your shame and every time you hear it you think of shame so what I'm doing now is I am relating to your shame so that when I do it you could recognize that I'm in your shame with you that I am aware of your shame that you are with and struggling with and I'm gonna take that shame so I'm gonna confront you with that thing which has you bound and if it sounds like this here it is let me rub your eye now because you'll see from that place and now you no longer operate from the shame of spitting but now you'll see that that shame that you held on to is now the power of God manifested in you so when every time someone spits around you you can say I got a story about spitting it started when I was born and it ended when I was born again It started when I was born. And it ended when I was born again. I can see. I can see. I can see. Look at me. That the marvel would be less about you. But more about you want to talk about spitting? But be more about who is it that healed you? Here's my message. Here's our message. Here's his message. Gripped in his reality. Gripped in his reality. Do you think that your shame is your reality? The heck it is. Your shame is not your reality. Gripped in his reality is grabbing the shame and saying, I want to operate into the place where my shame is not for the purpose, for the power of God to be seen in me. That's it. You stand with me and we're going to close. I feel like God spoke today. I want you to close your eyes. I want you to examine your heart. Everything that Tito was sharing. Everything that I just shared. That which the Lord is just dropping on your heart. I mean, maybe you need to, maybe you need to start seeing things from a different dimension. And these words resonated. These words touched base. And, and you're recognizing I got to come before his presence. And I need him to take over. I need him to, to take my perspective, my outlook. I need him to take my dimension that I'm in and fix me on his dimension and transform me into his world. So that which I carry here, which might be an ill ailment, sickness, death, sin, could be for the power of God in me to be seen in his dimension. And maybe that's you today and you need a shift today. 
and you need to be gripped in his reality. This is what I'm going to do. We're going to worship the Lord. Let's go ahead and sing a song, team. And as we worship, if, you, if that's you, I, I don't even want you to think about that person next to you. I don't even want you to think about the plans you have after this. Who cares about it? Take off your watch right now. Put your phone on off. And if that's you today, I want God to grip you like never before. I want you to come up to this altar. And I want you to surrender it all right here. And if you hear him spit on the floor today, embrace that sound of spit and say, yes, Lord, if it's for me to see and if it's for me, for people to marvel at your glory, it's for people to question, not necessarily how is it that I see, but who is it that made me see, then it's worth it, Lord. Bring me up with my blindness. Bring me up with my lameness. Bring me up with my sin. Bring me up with my shame so that you can lift me up with your power. So this is what we're going to do as we sing this song over you. If you need prayer and you want us to come in agreement with you, I'm going to ask you, the altar's open. You come up here and we're going to believe in this power. And we're going to believe in this switch in your dimension, a switch in this world. We're going to believe that you have this gripped shift into a whole other reality. Let's go ahead and let's worship him. And if you need prayer, come up to the altar and let's do this. Hallelujah.